morning. The Bible readings from John 15, starting at verse 1 to verse 8. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, Thanks, Renee, and uh, thank you also. We're thinking about prayer today, and I want to thank you for your prayers for me. Someone said to me the other day, how are you going? You've been off for two weeks with COVID. I said, no, I I was sick for a day. Praise God. Thank you for your prayers. Had a temperature for a day, and then I was staying at home, working from home. And I was at work the other week during a holiday club, and I had a few days off with my wife this past week. That's why you haven't seen me for a couple of Sundays. Uh, For those who prayed extra hard for my healing, thank you. And God healed me after the first day, and, uh, but prayers are never wasted. Praise God, God hears them, so keep praying. You know, um, by the way, I won't be doing an exposition on John 15 today. It, that was one of the passages we'll refer to on this topical uh, message on prayer. But I was reading a, a book by Philip Yancey on prayer, and he says this, When I started exploring the subject of Christian prayer, I first went to the libraries and read accounts of some of the great prayers in history. George Mueller began each day with several hours of prayer, imploring God to meet the practical needs of his orphanage. Several hours. Okay. Susanna Wesley, a busy mother with no privacy, would sit in a rocking chair, get this, with an apron over her head, the only quiet place she had, with an apron over her head, praying for John and Charles Wesley and the rest of her family. Martin Luther who led to the Protestant Reformation, devoted two to three hours daily to prayer. And he said he would do it as naturally as a shoemaker makes a shoe and a tailor makes a coat. Just natural. It's just part of what we do. Jonathan Edwards, uh, involved in the revival in America, often wrote of the sweet hours on the banks of the Hudson River, wrapped and swallowed up in God. And you think, the sweet hours... Man, if I've done five minutes, I'm doing pretty well sometimes. How about you? Or 10? Or 15? The sweet hours in the presence of God wrapped up and swallowed up in God. Not just one thing we do for five minutes, then we run off to the next thing in the business of our lives, but swallowed up in God. And Yancey says in the next step, I interviewed ordinary people about prayer. Typically, the results went like this. Is prayer important? Oh, yes, it is. How often do you pray? Every day. Approximately how long? Five minutes. Well, maybe seven. Do you find prayer satisfying? Not really. Do you sense the presence of God when you pray? Occasionally, not often. Many of those I talk to experience prayer more as a burden than as a pleasure. 
many of those, or they regarded as important, even paramount, and felt guilty about their failure blaming themselves. Now, Yancey's no expert in prayer, by the way. He writes, Before beginning this book, I mostly avoided the topic of prayer out of guilt and a sense of inferiority. I'm embarrassed to admit that I do not keep a journal, I do not see a spiritual director, I do not belong to a regular prayer group, and I readily confess that I tend to view prayer through a skeptic's lens, obsessing more about unanswered prayers than rejoicing over answered ones. In short, my main qualification for writing about prayer is that I feel unqualified and I genuinely want to learn. But he said, the psychiatrist Gerald C. May observed, after 20 years of listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I am convinced that human beings have an inborn desire for God. Whether we are consciously religious or not, this desire is our deepest longing and most precious treasure. Yancey writes, surely if we are made in God's image, God will find a way of responding to the deepest longing. Prayer is that way. It says, in the process of writing, however, I've come to see prayer as a privilege, not a duty. Like all good things, prayer requires some discipline, yet I believe that life with God should seem more like friendship than duty. Prayer includes moments of ecstasy and also dullness, mindless distraction and acute concentration, flashes of joy and bouts of irritation. In other words, prayer has features in common with all relationships that matter. But if prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer, he writes. Friends, is it any wonder that in the Bible, God urges us to be devoted to prayer? Get that word, devoted to prayer. See, the word translated devoted is used 10 times in the New Testament and five times in reference to prayer. Let me uh, remind you of them. Acts 1, 14. After the ascension of Jesus, while the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were devoting themselves to prayer. This was not a minute or two. This is a devotion to prayer, seeking God, waiting upon God to speak, to lead them. Acts 2.42, the early converts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 6.4, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, two key things the apostles were doing. They said, well, there are plenty of other tasks. There's administration to do. There, you know, there are shelves to empty, uh, offices to move, but we're not going to do that. We're going to let someone else do that because we have a ministry of the word and prayer. Okay? We're devoted to that. We've got to be. If we just administer, like even in this building project, if we just move things, administer and do things, if we are not praying for the power of God to be in this place, changing lives, for God to lead us in every step of the development and everything that will come upon us, then we're going to miss that blessing of God, right? Be devoted to prayer. Romans 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope. This is to everyone. Patient in affliction. Devoted to prayer. NIV says faithful. The word is devoted. Devoted, faithful, constant in prayer. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful, spiritually alert, vigilant, mentally and spiritually alert, and thankful to God. Friends, a normal Christian life is a life devoted to prayer. And prayer is a delight and a joy 
not just a boring activity to satisfy some checklist in your relationship with God. And I force myself to pray when I don't feel like praying. I have to talk to my kids if I don't feel like talking to them, my wife when I don't feel like talking to her. I have to communicate, I have to talk. God is the God of the universe, the great creator and saviour, and to come to him. We pray when God blesses us. We pray when we have a difficulty. We pray when we have sinned against God. A life divided to God. John John Piper puts it this way. We learn from the Bible that God's interest is to magnify the fullness of his glory by spilling over in mercy to us. The most precious truth in the Bible is that God's great interest is to glorify the wealth of his grace by making sinners happy in him. In him, he says. When we humble ourselves like little children, put on no airs of self-sufficiency, but run happily into the joy of our Father's embrace, the glory of his grace is magnified and the longing of our soul is satisfied. Have you run to God recently? Delighted in the beauty, the embrace of God's love. With no phone on, no television on, no Netflix, no book to read. Sitting in the the glow of God's glory, his beauty. Intimacy with God. See, prayer draws into intimacy with God. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. I love that. Call upon him. Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You want a relationship with God? You want to be closer to God? Knock. Seek. Ask. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Psalm 40. And sometimes it's like that in prayer. You wait patiently for the Lord. Lord, I don't know what's happening now, Lord, but I'm going to keep waiting. I'm going to keep calling out to you. Because I know, God, you will hear my cry, whatever I'm going through. God, I may not feel like you're hearing it, God, but I'm going to wait patiently for you. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. In the midst of loss, be still and know that he is God. Stop being too busy. I'm talking to myself now. Stop worrying. Even if things seem like they're falling apart. Be still in God's presence and recognize that God reigns. He is God. You can trust him. In his book, How How to Talk with God, Stephen Winwood reminds us that prayer is relating to God, talking to him. He puts it this way. The analogy of human friendship is helpful here. Why do we talk to our friends? Not because they are useful to us, confer benefits upon us, although these frequently are the byproducts of friendship. The reward of friendship is the friend himself or herself. We appreciate his personality, enjoy his company, his conversation, and find fulfillment and enrichment in the fellowship of giving and receiving. They said, read the following words of the psalmist, and it is at once apparent that what he gets out of communion with God is quite simply God. That's what you get when you pray, you get God. He's quoting Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I love the psalmist. I love those verses. I guess you do as well. God, if I have nothing else, God, I have God. 
and God is enough. There's a song we sing, Christ is enough. And as Christians, we know that sometimes other things are taken from us. Even life is taken from us, but Christ is never taken from us. We have him. We know him. We're in relationship with him. James 4 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to him. Now, I love the example of the Lord Jesus himself. God in human flesh was an intimate conversation with his father. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I'm wondering how he did it in winter. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you trying to get out of bed in the morning. I tell you, this morning, the alarm went, and you think, oh, surely I can sleep for five more minutes with my blankets on. Anyone like me? It's five or six degrees. Now, I'm sure it's even colder in Israel in the middle of winter. But Jesus made it a habit to spend time with his father. Encourage you to make a regular time with God. And take some extra special time with God. Now, some people will take a whole day retreat. Others will take a couple of hours. Sometimes take your Bible, take a coffee, and go out and sit in your car. And That's the one way it helps me. I sit in my car. So, so During COVID, I used to go down to Oatley Park, sit in the car park, have a coffee, my Bible, and I can look out towards the water because I want to see something nice, and the trees, and just being alone. If I'm in a shopping centre, there are people walking past, sitting in my car. I found that helpful in the middle of COVID to stop, to pray and engage with God. Secondly, we have a generous Father. We can have a relationship with God, but we realise that God wants to give us good things. The Bible says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Friends, one of the great privileges of being a Christian is that we're adopted sons and daughters of the living God. And the Bible uses the language of family in relationship. And we call God Abba, Father. This is how then you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, Jesus used the language that the Jews did not use in that first century. God's a little bit more distant, but Jesus wants us to address God as our Father. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adopted as sons and daughters. You're no longer a slave, but a son. But since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. We receive from God a great inheritance. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Listen to that language. Friends. We're not just Christians. We're not just saved. You're not just an ordinary person any longer in Christ. Get this. If you just think you're just an ordinary failing Christian, think again. In Christ, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Alongside Christ, we'll receive everything. If indeed we share any sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. We are legal heirs, is what it says. We own the world and the universe. It, as Matt said, people have been posting these images of our great creation. God already knew about those things that we've never seen before. And in the Bible's language, friends, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, we own all of that. It's God's. And as God's adopted children, we belong to him, and that's part of the inheritance we have in him. 
So bring your request to him. Bring your request, whatever it is, for healing, for the spread of the gospel, for troubled kids or marriages, for this building development, for our missionary workers around the globe and in Australia. Bring your request. He is a loving father. Thirdly, promoting the glory of God. As Christians, as we pray and build relationship with God, what we want to see is God lifted up. Okay? We want to see God magnified. We want to see God glorified. We want men and women to see what a great God he is. They don't just look at the pictures of the stars and the universes and the galaxies, whatever. We call them out there and say, wow, what a big world. But they come back a step and say, what a great God who made all of that. Right? That's where we want to be. We want people to see the glory of God. And Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Let's have a look at this relationship. What it says, we pray in his name, God, Jesus answers, and God gets the glory. Right? That's the point. God works in such a way and blessing us, but lifting up glory to his name. And I think prayer expresses our God dependency, my, our, my need of help, our need of help. Our need of God's power in our lives. When I think I run the world, I fail to become all that God wants me to be. Amen? When I think I can control my destiny, my finances, my employment, my children, then I fail. But when I depend upon God, I know God can do his work. And his work is that we would bear fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. The man remains in me and I in him. He will be much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So God is so at work in us. And as we head into a third term of ministry, it was great to see the holiday club and kids hearing about Jesus and singing about Jesus. And uh, I know that Camp Tukley Camp, many of us, some people served out. Uh, young children gave their lives to Jesus there as well. And they were loved and served. We had some, some baptisms a couple of weeks ago. People saying, yes, Jesus is Lord. We'll see more of that, right? We'll bear fruit as we remain in him and do his work. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So when you are in Christ remaining in him, what you ask for is consistent with his will and purpose. It's consistent with his character. It's consistent with his ultimate goals. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish will be given to you. And in verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And it's interesting, that's humbling as well. The fruit we share shows people that we are Christ's disciples. So that's godliness, that's love, that's mercy, the type of characteristics of Christ as we bear fruit and we see new believers and we disciple new believers and we reach out to the hurting and the suffering as we bear much fruit... God gets glory, and we show ourselves up to be Christians. We pray, we bear fruit, God gets the glory. Piper writes, prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. And prayer is turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Friends, if I truly knew God, I would pray more. How about you? You know, John 4, remember Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman, married a few times. The man she was living with was not her husband. 
They got into a conversation. Jesus was showing the love of Christ. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says to her, if only you knew who I was. If only you realize I'm not just some traveling preacher or some traveling Jewish guy. I am the Messiah. And she comes to understand that in a little while. I pray. So you would have asked, you would pray, and I would give you living water. Someone has said, a prayerless Christian is like a bus driver trying to push his bus out of a rut because he doesn't know Clark Kent is on board. I love that. If you knew, you would ask. And if we ask, the giver gets the glory. Psalm 50, verse 15. You'll call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way about this text. He says, here is a compact, a covenant that God enters into uh, with you who pray to him and whom he helps. He says, you shall have deliverance, but I must have the glory. Here is a delightful partnership where you obtain that which we so greatly need, and all that God getteth is the glory which is due unto his name. We get something, God gets the glory. And finally, uh, experiencing joy in God. Because not only does, do we get our needs met, does God answer our prayers and God is glorified, but we get joy as well, he says. John sixteen twenty four: ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Joy will be complete. And I think amongst professing Christians, prayerlessness produces joylessness. Okay? Prayerlessness produces joylessness. Because you see, when you pray more, and you in a sense sit in the glow of the glory of God, and you know Jesus better, you know his word, and you're talking to God as your best friend day in and day out, he ministers to your heart, he ministers to your life, and there's joy and there's hope, and, there's, and you see God work and you bear fruit and lives are changed and transformed, and you just can't keep it in, and you just want to talk to God more and ask for more things. But if you don't pray, if you just do life, as Australians just do life, and you don't build that intimacy with God, at least a prayer or joylessness, we don't pray, God doesn't answer, God is not magnified and our joy is not full. Let me give you an example of how it works when we do pray. It doesn't always work out like this. But one of the things we're called to pray for is the salvation of the lost. Men and women to come to know Jesus. And maybe you're not a Christian here today. And you know that your friends, because they love you, they pray for you. The greatest thing that they would want for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you would find a relationship with God. The God of the universe who loves you and sent his son to die for you and rise again from the dead. There's no greater gift we can give you. I experienced that gift at the age of 15. Someone told me about Jesus and I finally, after two years of arguing about God and the truth, I received Jesus. Maybe you need to uh, consider that too. But Lucy was uh, a non-Christian. Lucy surrounded by, uh, by many Christians and for two years... Uh, someone said she was the most evangelized person that they knew. She uh, heard the message of Jesus. She loved her Christian friends. They didn't, they weren't pushy. She knows 
they, they love Christ. But she said, I never really understood. I couldn't really believe that Jesus was God's son who died and rose again for me. Then over the years, many requests, prayers and intercessions have been offered to God on her behalf. No apparent answer until late one night. God does some of his good work late at nights. One of her friends felt compelled to get out of bed and pray for Lucy to know the truth in the middle of the night. So if some, God wakes you up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep, start praying, okay? <laughs> start praying. I'm doing a lot of prayers at four o'clock in the morning, trust me. And God wakes him up, so he starts to pray for Lucy. They've been praying for two years for Lucy. But then at the same time, unbeknown to him, Lucy was awake in bed, thinking through all the things her friends have told her for two years. And suddenly, Lucy says, it's like the mental blindfold was removed. And I knew that God loved me, that Jesus did die for me on the cross, and he did rise again from the dead. So there she is in the middle of the night, this other guy's praying in his home, probably lying in bed. She's in bed, finally gets it, lights go on. It's what we taught the Holy Spirit bringing and lightning. She received Christ, turned from her sins. And the next morning she rang up her friend and said, you won't believe what happened. Last night, God really spoke to me and I'm a Christian now. He said, what time was that? She mentioned the time. She said, well, God woke me up at the same time to pray for you at that time. Close to God, friendship with God, intimacy with God leads to joyfulness. God gets the glory. You bear the fruit. You get the joy. You don't want God to get the glory? You don't want the joy? You don't want to bear fruit? Well, don't pray. Just go through the motions, day after day, week after week, year after year. Prayer is the nerve center of our fellowship with Jesus. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be given to you. We allow the biblical words of Jesus to abide in our hearts. We hear the very thoughts of the living Christ. And uh, we pray consistent with his will and his plans and his purposes. Again, John Piper, as I conclude, finish, says, Pray is God's appointed way to fullness of joy because it is the vent of the inward burnings of our heart for Christ. If we had no vent, if we could not commune with him in response to his word, we would be miserable indeed. Friends, I want to remind you this morning as we go into a new year of ministry to come to God in prayer. Plan a time each day. Talk to him throughout the day. Watch the joy come. Watch him bear the fruit in you. Watch him get the glory. Amen. Lord God, uh, I confess, Lord, that I fail to pray as I ought. So easily to be distracted by other things by anxiety or worry or sport or food or holidays or recreation. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for us as your church that we develop an intimacy with you, that we would delight to be with you, alone with you, in your word, in prayer, listening to you, hearing from you, being changed by you. Lord, do your work, we pray, to bring glory to your name, Help us to bear fruit for you this year. And may our joy be full. For the glory of God we pray. Amen.